reveal, breathe, grace, man with arms raised. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law, and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards the selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Good stuff. Good, good, good. Okay, let's see here. We have, uh, I guess we'll read that later. We'll got some prayer requests, I think. Let's see. Oh, you know what? I forgot to mention this on Sunday, so I'll say it now, and then I'll say it again on Sunday. Chris down in the projects is looking for rice, gravy packets, canned meat, including beef, chicken, tuna, and chili, and uh, corned beef hash and roast beef hash. So, whatever. If any of you are shopping and you, you buy any of that stuff and you want to send it down there, uh, she just gave that to me on Saturday, and because we got lots of canned food, but she doesn't have like canned meat. She's got mostly canned soup and stuff, whatever. So, those are some things that she needs for the projects. And let's see. Um, uh, and why in the projects? What? Why does she want them? To give to people in the projects. For the shortage. Short. Well, yeah. She, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, let's see here, uh, Jeline. She is uh, going to a community Bible study down in Naples, and she would ask for prayer that they will make some changes that will bring God the glory. Okay, she wants to go to these things. She wants to fellowship with the people, but uh, she sees some things that aren't really sure. right, and so she would pray, ask you to pray about that. And then Susan, who plays the organ on Sunday, she had a delay in her surgery, and so. Uh, just typical of the way the world is. Um, uh, they have a delay, so keep Susan in prayer. She's obviously in pain with these uh, kidney stones, and it, it doesn't help to uh, have people delay your treatment. Um, Ken is having seizures and has pneumonia. His uh, wife, is uh, Angela, is with him at the hospital and is not doing well emotionally or financially. Okay, their pump at their house is stopped. They have no water. They got this on top of it, and poor Angela, somebody I've known for years, she's just beside herself. So keep Ken and Angela in prayer. And then Graham is still in the hospital. Even though he was getting better, he's still in the hospital as of two days ago, and he's sweating a lot. Um, and so Jenna's wife is a bit overwhelmed with all, obviously, he's gone through so much. And uh, so keep Graham in, in prayer and Jen. And then finally, I just got a note from... Uh, my friend in Liverpool, we were praying for his friend's wife, Sue. She was in the hospital, and he says she is doing much better and may be released within the week. So we want to praise the Lord for that. So those are some prayer requests. And uh, then we'll read this, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Let's see here. Today is May 4th. She began a voyage to Australia, but ended up in paradise. That means she came to see us to Kia, apparently. Uh, let's see here. On May 4, 1837, Jesse Hetherington, well, that's a long name, began a letter to her mother that said that she never finished. Several months earlier, Jesse and Irving Hetherington had been married and immediately left Scotland for Sydney, Australia. Before their wedding, Irving had a fruitful ministry in the poor suburbs of Edinburgh. 
While involved in this work, he felt the call of God when he heard a request for preachers in New South Wales, Australia, even though he knew it might mean the end of his engagement to Jesse. Jesse, however, gladly agreed to accompany him. Where you wish to take me, there I will go. Three months into the voyage to Sydney, Jesse caught scarlet fever and died just days later. The following is an example, I'm sorry, is an excerpt from the letter Irving finished for his wife. I write now in Sydney, for during our whole voyage, we met no opportunity in England. Yet it is my Jesse's every look and every tone as distinctly engraved on my memory as fully remembered as they were two months ago. Oh yes, I can never forget. And in particular, will you be anxious to know what was her experience in the prospect of eternity? It was the serenity of heaven. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like hers. Oh, it was the most perfect peace. On the surgeon uh, praising me on Tuesday of her extreme danger, I thought it right to communicate this to her. She was quite collected at the time and was looking at me in the affectionate manner that was so usual to her and which I think never will cease to haunt my dreams. I said to her that Mr. Thompson did not give us reason to expect her recovery. It is the Lord's will and we must submit, Irving, she answered quietly. And have you no fear then of death, Jesse? No, dear. And this is that, and how is it that you are not afraid to die? I have long taken Christ for my portion and set my hopes on him. I could but weep. Afterwards, I asked her what word of God it was that gave her the most comfort. Come unto me, all ye that, are lab that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, she replied with much eagerness. And after I had made some remarks on this, she bade me repeat some of those scriptures in which salvation by grace is offered to sinners. This I continued to do when I thought she was in a state of consciousness and prayed with her day and night. Her spirit ascended as I was commending her to the grace of God. As assured do I feel of her blessedness, yea, as confident that she is now with God for whom she gave up so much as I could be were an angel to bring me tidings of her mingling with the choir above. To her death was indeed unspeakable gain, but what a loss I have sustained. Now alone, Irving Hetherington continued on to Australia and became the first evangelical minister in Singleton, New South Wales. It was a district 50 miles long by 30 miles wide. For several years, he was also the superintendent of the area's school. Combined with these responsibilities, he made weekly treks in all weather to settlers' houses to serve both them and their convict servants doing much of his studying and sermon preparations on horseback. After nine years, he was called as the minister of Scots Church in Melbourne, where he preached until just before his death in 1875. They ask, have you ever lost a loved one? You know, if you're over 20, that's kind of a dumb question. Mm -hmm. I mean, pretty much everybody's lost somebody. If it hasn't happened yet, it will in the future. When our loved ones have given their allegiance to Jesus, we can know that they are in God's presence. If you have loved ones who are not yet on the way to heaven, share with them that Jesus is the way. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for people of faith like that that are there to uh, reassure other people that uh, there is uh, hope 
in uh, your arms if we know Jesus Christ. And apparently that lady surely did. So we're grateful for that type of faith in her. And uh, we're grateful that her husband was willing to stick it out and to continue being a missionary to the folks in Australia so long ago. And Lord, we're uh, grateful to raise the people that we mentioned a minute ago up to you. And we ask that you would uh, uh, look tenderly upon them and according to your wisdom, either uh, bring them healing or let them understand why these things have happened in their lives so that they're assured and reassured of uh, uh, your goodness towards them. And Lord, we certainly pray for this class and we would pray that it would be handled properly and that you would be pleased with uh, uh, what we say. And if anything is incorrect, we would pray that you would highlight that to us so that we would uh, not teach something that is incorrect. We thank you, Lord, for the chance to meet here. We're so grateful to you. We praise you, we love you, and we exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right, so uh, let's see here. We've got, we're in 1 Thessalonians 3, and I think it's verse 7, if I remember that. You were correct. Oh, of course, you wrote it on the board. There it is. So um, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, and you start wherever you want. Yeah, I'll back it up to the beginning of the paragraph. But, Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Seven, therefore brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Okay, therefore brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. So that's close enough. Let's see here. What do we got? We've got what is apparent here is that having the knowledge that the church in Thessalonica had maintained the faith was a source of great joy to Paul and his associates. To them, it was so wonderful that it actually relieved them through their own times of affliction and distress. The word therefore here at the uh, beginning of it is given based on everything thus far in chapter 3. We could read you know, the whole thing again and uh, it's all continuing to give one long thought. And Paul is giving us a therefore because of it. There was a sense of uncertainty in what the state of the church was. There was the sending of Timothy to establish and encourage them in their walk. There was the truth that the tempter was out to destroy the faith of the believers. Think of that lady that's they're traveling to Australia and uh, here she gets scarlet fever on the way down there. And I mean, that's, you know, now we can't say that it's out of the hands of the Lord that that happened obviously we know Job was afflicted at by Satan but at the approval of the Lord okay and the same thing was probably true here you know let's test this guy's faith and let's see if he says okay you know you can go this far but no farther and um, so I was thinking about that today you know here Job he uh, uh, lost everything. I mean, one thing after another, one calamity comes, another calamity comes, another calamity comes, and I don't mean to be flippant about this, but every time I read Job, I think the same thing. He's got everything taken away from him except a nagging wife. And you think, you just, here she is, she's saying things contrary to his faith just to get him to walk away from it. And it's like, if there's one thing that you're going to leave a person that is going to make his life more miserable, Satan figured that one out in Job's case, you know? And like I said, I mean, if you have a great wife like me, you'd be, you know, just crushed to lose her, you know? Or if that was all you had left, you'd be very grateful for it. 
but some people don't get along with their husband or their wife. And if that's the one thing that the Lord doesn't allow to be taken, that's a real trial. So anyway. But when he got everything back. He kept her? Yeah. He's still with her? Come on. Well, you know, it doesn't say anything about that. All it says is that he had seven children, right? And so uh, it, well, she would have been old by then. So how did she have seven more children? I don't know. It doesn't say one way or another, but you can assume that what you said is correct, that she was still there, and uh, uh, but it doesn't address her at all other than that. And every time I read that, that's what goes through my mind. Maybe you know. mute. The what? Maybe she went mute. She might have gone mute. That would that would have been good. You know, we could, yeah. There you go. Anyway, so this guy is uh, 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 what was it? There was a sending of Timothy to establish, encourage them in their walk. There was the truth that the tempter, there it was, was out to destroy the faith of the believers. And you know, we have no idea what goes on in the divine counsels of God and what He allows and what He doesn't allow with Satan. People love to make videos about that kind of stuff, and you'll get thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of hits off of videos like that and they don't say anything it would be just like you know making stuff up on prophecy people do that and there's these videos that get half a million views and it's just junk but it makes people happy to hear that kind of stuff or it tickles their ears so they do well yes is permissible and approval the same thing well, if you're talking about the will of the Lord, you've got the Lord's permissive will, and then you've got his divine will. In other words, when he says to Hezekiah, get your house in order, you're going to die, that's his divine will. That's what he determined should happen. But he has his permissive will. Hezekiah turned and said, I don't want to die. Restore my life to me. And the Lord granted his request. His initial request would have been better off for Israel. By far, and we know that because in the years that he was given, he had Manasseh, the worst king of Israel and the one that caused most of their downfall. And as a matter of fact, the Lord explicitly says that because of the sins of Manasseh, I, you know, I'm not going to forgive them. And they're, Anyway, so uh, his divine will, which Hezekiah should have just said, okay, you're God, you know, if that's what you want, then that's the way it is. But he didn't. He whined like a baby with his face to the wall and the Lord heard his tears and he gave him 15 more years. And that's Charlie Garrett paraphrase. It doesn't say he whined like a baby. But if the Lord said to me today, I'm thinking about this today, when I uh, uh, got bit by those bees and I went into anaphylactic shock and, and I was, for all intents and purposes, gone. And the first thing that I said when they revived me was, I'm still here. If the Lord wants me to go, I don't want anybody to re revive me. Tom and I have an agreement in the projects where if something happens to one of us, we're not to call the ambulance until the leg stops twitching. That's just the way it is. And I, people get mad at me when I say that. But if the Lord says, it's time for you to come home, Charlie Garrett, I'm not going to say I want to stay. I'm going to go with his divine will, not his permissive will. Okay? His divine will is better than whatever I want. Okay? And that's but, all from our perspective. Well, that's right. he's already made the decision. He's already made the decision. He knew Hezekiah time, so. was going to say that prayer. He knew all of it was going to happen. But... He still displays his divine will in things like that. And you see that, you know, throughout the Bible. And that's how it's going to be. But he knows our weaknesses. He knows our failings. He knows everything about us. He knows the choices that we're going to make and the things that we are going to ask for. And I, you know, if I end up in the hospital and I'm on death's door, I would prefer people to say, Lord, take Charlie home. That would be my preference. But people... 
yeah, you know, people get mad at me. My daughter would come and kick me, and my son, well, I don't know what he did, but but my daughter would certainly come and kick me and say, well, you've got a bad attitude. It's, it's just the way it is. So everybody's different. And I, you know, as much as I love this life, I love what's promised a lot more, a lot more. So whatever, we're all different. But so this, bees and a roof so far. So There's probably bees, more that we don't know about. Yeah, but. definitely bees and a roof. But, you know, <laughs> I, the roof was obviously nothing because I landed on my feet. So From uh, the roof of a two-story building. Yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, I, whatever yeah, happened, that, it, 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 that wasn't meant to be, but it was it was a long fall. That was, I'm surprised on the way down. Anyway, um, okay, so anyway, uh, each of these things, uh, the faith of believers, uh, each of these things weighed heavily on Paul and those with him. But upon receiving the news from Timothy concerning the positive state of the church, Paul says that even in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you. Very happy about it. He's down in Athens and he's, you know, concerned about you know, we had to leave these people and how are they? And Timothy went up there and he sent note that everything is a-okay. Paul was very encouraged by that. Um, the heavy weight was lifted, the burden was gone, and joy of heart and soul was now felt. The gospel had prevailed in the hearts of the brethren and their walk had not wavered. Paul says to them that they were comforted, his words, comforted concerning you by your faith. They had faith. They were, you know, they believed the message. They had to leave. The apostles had to leave, and uh, they kept their faith up. And Paul was so excited about that, knowing that they had their faith still grounded. When faith is grounded, all else that is sound and proper will naturally follow suit. Okay, they had kept their eyes on the Lord, their hearts tuned to his gospel and their lives on the right and proper path. It was a welcome thing to have received this wonderful news. Okay, this morning I typed the uh, commentary on Acts 16, I think it was 37, and uh, there's, Albert Barnes had a couple things I threw in there because they were very insightful, but Acts 16, yeah, 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come out, come themselves and get us out. And, you know, you think, okay, I understand. He wanted to vindication over the people that did what they did to them when they had no right to do it. And um, so you could see Paul's perverse nature and saying, oh, I, I want to get the best of them. That wasn't it at all. Uh, Albert Barnes rightly thought that through and he gave five points concerning um, what happened. And one of them was that they were beaten in public, they were thrown into prison, and if the new converts in that area, if that's all they knew of, they would have said, well, this guy was a, a miscreant and we're, our faith isn't grounded because of and that. And we might get that too. Well, absolutely. And so by demanding that they be walked out of there publicly and demanding that the people of Philippi see this, they uh, uh, it would encourage the faith of the people that had believed. It would let them know that what Paul and Silas had done was not wrong. And in fact, it was the Romans that were, would you get her one of those? It's right under the pulpit, right? Oh, you got them, okay. Anyway, um, the, uh, the, so it, it's important that what they did, and you know, I, 
you don't really think of all of the possibilities of something like that, but uh, the five points that Albert Barnes gave were very well stated. I might have come up with two or three of them, but he had five, and so I just copied and pasted them and attributed that, them to him. But, uh, you know, the Thessalonians could have had their faith weakened by the events that surrounded them, and Paul didn't want that. And so here he's writing to them, and he finds out that they're, they've stood fast in their faith. And that is what would have happened with Lydia when she knew that Paul wasn't doing anything wrong, okay? Um, it, it was an important thing, and plus the jailer as well, because just that night is when the jailer and his family believed. And the jailer really didn't know, other than Paul's witness and testimony within the, the, the jail itself. But now he doesn't just trust Paul, he's gonna trust Paul forever, because he was not only innocent, but he stayed, and then he demanded that restitution in the eyes of the people be made. That jailer would have been fully confident in his faith. So it's just great to, to read this and to see how Paul operated. It wasn't just that he was being a perverse, vindictive person and saying, you're gonna you know, uh, come and submit to me. He was doing it for other reasons, and you can, you can see it once you think it through. Anyway, um, life application. How often do we hear someone say, my son has stopped going to church? Or my wife says she just doesn't believe the Bible anymore. People's faith is challenged. They take their eyes off of the Lord and they lose their footing on the proper path. When this happens, I've seen it a million times. I've saw you know, people that have had their wives die and then they just stop going to church and they walk away from the Lord and spend their evenings in the bar or whatever. I've seen that personally many times things like that because you know people just are not grounded in the word and they're not grounded in their faith in the Lord. So when bad times come, which we expect everything is supposed to be rosy because we're Christians and God wants us to be blessed, which is completely wrong reading of the Bible, they walk away from their faith, whatever faith they had. Uh, when this happens, it is a source of great consternation for those who know the logical end of such things. When this arises, we need to be ready to provide words of empathy and compassion. Okay, uh, somebody loses his wife at 25 years old and he, he's broken because of it like that's a good example of what we read today okay well 25 35 45 at some point one of them's gonna die right. <laughs> you're not gonna live forever I mean that there's one thing that is absolutely certain in this life it is that you are going to meet your end unless the Lord comes first and so you know as tragic as it is that somebody dies on the way to uh, to Australia the fact is that eventually she's going to die and we have to be ready for that in our life so Anyway, um, you can't just keep expecting the Lord to say, I'm gonna have him live as long as Methuselah. You know, there's a point where people are gonna die and then you have to have empathy and compassion, okay? And uh, you know, empathy is hard when you don't understand the circumstances personally. Um, you know, outside of, you know, people in the church, like when Kelly Carlin died, that was tough, but outside of grandma, I really don't remember anybody in the family. Has anybody in the family really died? I'm 58 years old and I think grandma, grandpa died, but I was overseas and I didn't know him very well. But, uh, and grandma Tompkins died when I was overseas as well. But other than that, grandma Garrett's the only person I know. So I don't have a lot of ability to empathize with close loss yet in my life. Yeah, I and I so. Know. Be thankful for that. Well, I am, but I'm saying that I, you know, I'm not the person that can, to say, you know, I understand because 
you know, I haven't lost a wife, I haven't lost a child, I haven't lost my mom or my dad or a brother or anything like that. What's that? Just wait. I know, I'm saying, or I could kick my my bucket today too. And then you would say, well, I've lost a child, right? There you go. So we don't know. We just don't know. And uh, until it happens, uh, you know, one thing is that when somebody has a child that dies, they are then able to help people that have had children die. After they've gotten through that, they can they can be a source of comfort for people like that. And it's not easy, I understand, because all of your memories are brought back up at the same time when you're trying to help them. And that can't be an easy thing. But, you know, there you go, empathy and compassion. Okay, and we need uh, to also be willing, if asked, to help speak to the wayward person about turning back to the Lord. That is something we should do. It, you know, when somebody is despondent, the last thing they probably want to hear is, oh, he's going to preach to me again. But there's nothing else that's going to give comfort. I mean, I can't think of anything that is going to say, oh, this is going to restore your happiness, you know, other than the, the Lord. The gospel at funerals is never stronger than any other time. Yeah. Because everyone's got it on their mind. It's like, Absolutely. That could be me next. That could Absolutely. Be my, my wife. That could be somebody else. So Absolutely. It's like, you know, might as well talk about might it. Might as well talk about it, you know, at the, at the funeral. And uh, I always, when I do a funeral, I always bring up Ecclesiastes. I think it's chapter 7. I always bring this up. I say almost the same thing every single funeral when I do it. Uh, you know, so if I have to do your funeral and you don't want this included, then you better let me know now because if not, it, I'm going to bring it up. And it's, I think it's Ecclesiastes 7.1, but let me see, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, where are we? It's, there we go, hang on. Uh, I, I bring it up every single funeral because it, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, what am I doing? Um, there it is, okay, and I think it's chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, I could be wrong, and we'll get there in just a second, but it's uh, not 1, it's... Um, uh, yeah, it's verse 2. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. The point is that if you're going to the, the uh, house of feasting, you are not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking about eating more food and having a good time. When you go to the house of mourning, as you just said, that's on your mind, Something's is fresh. that... That person is really dead, and I'm not going to be seeing him or her again. And I might be dying. Well, what, what's going to happen? And then you start thinking about eternity. Anyway, I talk about that in depth every single time I uh, do a funeral. Because, not for the person that's dead, and not for the believing wife or child or something. I do it for the people that may not have ever heard about Jesus. And the point is that they are going to be going to the house of mourning someday for somebody they love, or they are going to be the object of mourning in that casket. And they better be thinking about their uh, life now because that is the end of all men. And I always bring that verse up during a, uh, a uh, funeral because people need to think clearly about death. It's mm -hmm. something that you, you, you can't predict it. I mean, people try to control it. I mean, we got assisted suicide going on all over the place nowadays, and, and uh, I'm going to control that. But, you know, they didn't control the circumstances that led them to that point, did they? So, uh, whatever. Anyway, people think they have a big grasp on what's going on in the world, and it is as tenuous as walking out the door. Okay, or even less so, because I always like to bring in the example that a plane could fly right through the window while we're having class. 
You know, we don't know. We have no idea what's going to come. And I don't mean to be morbid, but people need to think it through. Anyway, um, uh, where was I? When this arises, we need, yeah, I said that. Always be ready as this is a common thing. If we can be a help in such time of need, let us not be found either unable or unwilling to help. And so you just have to reach out and try to help people and, you know, whatever. Um, it, it's never easy, though. There's, you know, somebody talking about not easy. Somebody emailed me today about he's up in uh, one of the northern New England states, and he says, everybody here is Catholic. He says, what is it that I tell them to make them understand their need for Jesus? And I said, when you find out, let me know. Because I'm telling you, they're just like the Jews. Everything is fine. We'll let the church or the synagogue take care of us, and we'll live this life. And, you know, they baptized us. They said we're okay. There's no magic bullet with any of them. I got to tell you what, you just have to, uh, the only thing I know that has, and I told them this, the only thing I know that I have found that helps people uh, process properly their Catholicism is the word grace. And it's only happened one time. The wife of a friend of mine that I grew up with and went to high school with, uh, I, when I was traveling around the States, I stayed at their house, and I said, well, you can't earn grace. And it was that sentence. That's all she needed. She, I understand now. And so she reads her Bible. She does all the things that will help her find a happier life now because Roman Catholicism, just like Judaism, is totally about what am I going to do or what has somebody done for me to get me, you know, in the sweet spot with the Lord. It's totally, it has nothing to do with what has the Lord done for me. And so you got to be ready to help people with answers to things, whether it's this or whether it's getting out of Catholicism or, or whatever. People need to process, and if you are able to help them do it, then you should be helping them do it. You can't earn grace. That's the only thing I've ever said to a Catholic that has brought them to a place where they understand they need Jesus. You can give them the gospel, and you can say, he died for your sins. Yeah, I know that. Now, you can say all that kind of stuff, but they have all of that other baggage just heaped on top of them, piled on top of them, and I was baptized, you know, blah, 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 blah. You can't earn grace. And that's all it took was just a couple of words. But be ready with whatever answer you have in whatever the circumstances are for people to, to process things properly. Anyway, 3-8. Three 3-8. Eight. Three eight. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Okay. For now, we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So that one is a certainty. Read yeah. that again. Okay. It says uh, eight, uh, 4 now we really live since you are standing firm yeah, in the Lord. they make it affirmative, since you stand in the Lord. This one says, if you stand in the Lord. But it may be the word if, uh, I don't know what the Greek says, but quite often when we have the word if, Paul will use that. It is not a conditional if. It is a affirmation if. Okay, and so I don't know. Uh, maybe I comment on I don't know. Anyway, um, I'll bet you do. We'll see. Paul has written of his state which bordered on despondency, wondering how the Thessalonians fared and if they had maintained their faith in the Lord or if they had gone astray. Well, thank goodness we saw in the last verse especially that they had remained faithful to their faith and they had not gone astray. Uh, the burden of this was so great on him and his traveling associates that it was as if the life itself was sucked out of them. 
One can imagine nights where the mind is consumed with distress, where sleep flies away. In the day, there is no joy. The bird's song doesn't bring happiness, and food has no taste. This is how Paul's emotions probably were at this time. As he said back in verse 3-1, when we could no longer endure it. I can just see him, you know? It's like you got something that's bothering you at the house, and it, it, you're just miserable because it's all you can think about. Or when you go to bed at night, you just keep turning and turning and turning. I can see this because this is all Paul thought about. He thought about it evangelizing, telling people about the Lord that had changed his life and that he wanted to change another people's life. And he wanted it not just to be changed. Okay, they're saved, I'm moving on. He wanted them to stay grounded because they are the only connection to the next generation or the next people down the street that Paul will never get to meet. And he was very concerned about doctrine. And 2 Thessalonians is going to show that, you know. didn't Don't you, I, he just is very... I've told you these things. I want you to be grounded in it. I want you to be assured and reassured in what you have been told. Okay? And so he, he's never, never just looked at conversion as the end and that's it. Okay? And I know quite often we do that. Quite often we don't get the chance to speak to somebody a second time. You know, you give them a tract or you speak to them at a restaurant and that's pretty much all that you have with it. But uh, once uh, uh, you do have a friend or somebody close to you that comes to the Lord, and then you find out they're going to the Jehovah's Witnesses, that would, I, I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't be able to sleep over that. I just would be miserable. What are you doing? You know, I told you about Jesus. Oh, yeah, well, these people are, they say they have the true uh, version of the Bible, and they have the only true doctrine, and that's the kind of thing that would drive you absolutely bonkers, okay? You lead somebody to the Lord and you would hope that they would be right in their thinking, they would hold fast to sound doctrine, that they would just, you know, want to grow in the knowledge of, uh, of Jesus. And it, how disappointing, you know, when you find out somebody is, and I'm not talking about something like Calvinism and, you know, believing in uh, whatever they believe. As wrong as they are, if somebody wants, you know, we had a guy in the church on uh, Sunday, and he was just here one time to visit, and uh, he was, he was, I'm a praetorist, and, you know, I'm, he, he held to Calvin's doctrine and all that, and it's like, you know, I, I told him why he was wrong, but I don't really care if that, if he's, I'm not going to get an argument over him, over, right. you know what I mean? I, I just Jesus tell him that's wrong, and here's why, but somebody that goes to the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they're a friend of mine, I'm going to tell them, you know what, this is crazy. This is not right thinking. You were given the gospel that Jesus Christ is God, now you're saying that he's a created being, and logic itself tells you that's impossible. And you want to just take them and give them a, like a hyper noogie, where it starts wearing off their skin or something, because it's just so maddening. But like I say, Calvinism, you're just wrong. You know, I'm not going to get in a fight with you over it. If that's what you want, believe the church is over there just go and, and uh, follow that doctrine but as wrong as it is and as sad as I am for you because you're going to be in this type of bondage for the rest of your life at least you believe in the fundamentals of you know Jesus died for my sins he is God and blah 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 it, it, but when somebody gets off on a really bad track I, Paul he must have just been beside himself not knowing because, you know, the circumstances that drove him away from there. Anyway, now there's a marked change in his tone. Timothy had returned from Thessalonica, and he had brought with him good news of the faith and love. Their faith was grounded, and their love of Paul and his company was strong. 
In a note of joy, which can almost be felt by the reader, he says, for now, for we now live. The life that had been drained from them was restored. The sleep that they had lost was now sweet. The sound of the morning bird brought delight, and the food at the table had its flavor returned. Life had sprung anew. You can just, you know, when you, you get the good news after the, the stewing over the bad news, everything gets better. You know, the weight is off of your shoulder. You feel better. You can concentrate more. You know, when I have a uh, somebody that, that I have a little bit of difficulty with, whatever, we'll just say in an email or something, and I'm like, I can't concentrate. The rest of the day, I'm trying to concentrate. I'm trying to, to you know, think about whatever I'm doing. That's why I don't like ever opening emails on Monday morning. Because if I open an email on Monday morning and there's something in there that is not right, it's going to be on my mind all day long. Okay, And that's definitely the case with uh, uh, somebody that emails you for the first time. I brought that up in a sermon about three weeks ago in the intro. But if it's somebody that you know and you're having a problem with, that would just eat me alive all day long. I wouldn't be able to concentrate. I'd have to read the verse 14 times just to uh, understand what it's trying to tell me. It would just be totally unproductive. So I do not like opening emails on Monday morning. Uh, you know, I will scan the emails just to see if there's anything really, really important, but I don't like opening anything. And you all know what I'm talking about. When things are not going well, you can't concentrate. You try to watch a movie to get your mind off of it, and 30 minutes later you say, what, what was happened? I watching? Yeah, yeah. You, you don't even remember what you were watching. And, and uh, you know, your wife has you come to dinner, and you sit there and eat it, and then you don't even taste it. Oh, yeah, you want to you wanna get away from that, and Paul got away from it, thank goodness. To show how much he wanted this condition to last, he then adds on a conditional note, if you stand fast in the Lord. The joy of Paul's group was conditioned upon the soundness of the faith, which the churches maintained. It surely wasn't just those in Thessalonica, but each church that they administered to. Paul's words to the Galatians show a man beside himself because of their sudden turning from the truth to the lies of the Judaizers. The whole epistle, you can see Paul just literally frustrated with every verse that he wrote out to them, every sentence that he wrote out to them. He's frustrated. He's trying to make this logical argument as to how hate to say it, how stupid they were and not thinking through, you know, he's saying, he gets to the point where he says, don't you remember you when you believed, how did you receive the spirit when you believed? Was it by works or was it by faith? And he said, you know, the, the question is obvious. It was by faith. So what are they doing now? They're going back to something that never applied. And he's trying to say, just think, just think, and you can see the frustration as he's writing out the book of Galatians. What a great, I just love the book of Galatians. It is so, so human in the way he writes, and it is so typical of all of us when we're trying to get somebody to think clearly about something. You know, you got your kids and they're doing something that isn't right, and you're trying to say, don't you understand what you're doing is throwing your life away, or you're throwing away your opportunities, and you're just trying your best to reason with them. And that's what Paul was doing with them. He's just trying to reason with these people in Galatia. Anyway, his words to the Galatians show a man beside himself because of their sudden turning from the truth to the lies of the Judaizers. He did not want this in Thessalonica, and he rejoiced that it was not the case. 
but his life would be drained once again if they took a turn onto Apostasy Avenue or down Heresy Highway. He didn't want that. He wanted them to stay on right road and, uh, you know, clear thinking highway. And so that's just his, his hope. But, you know, I, he does show a little frustration. We'll go there really quickly. Just, just you know, to show you, he's, he's happy with them. He's content here. And he says, um, um, uh, where is this? Uh, um, oh, boy. Hang on. Here it is, verse 5, 2 Thessalonians 2, 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And so he's a little frustrated because he'd already told them, and then somebody comes along, and, you know, they're basically saying, um, uh, where is it? Um, uh, you know, the day of the Lord has already come, right? And he's like, don't you remember? I told you that it's not even close. It, it, it can't happen because, and then he gives all of the logical sequence of events that have to happen before the day of the Lord, okay? The one that we are concerned about as believers, the one that we are concerned about is the rapture, okay? We're not concerned about these other things. That's why he points out those things. He says, these things are going to happen, but that's not going to happen until we're out of here, so you don't need to worry about these things. So if somebody tells you, that he knows who the Antichrist is, they're wrong. Yeah, laugh at him. If somebody tells you that you are in the tribulation period, you can tell them that they don't know what they're talking about because Paul has already told them. It's very clear. He's telling. He's not telling you these things to be aware of them when they happen. He's telling you. He's telling us those things so that if somebody claims they have happened, you can tell them you are insane. You're wrong. Okay. But unfortunately, people don't do that. And so every day there's another video out there of the Antichrist has been identified. It's just 500,000 views, 800,000 views. The Antichrist is there, right? Or the tribulation period started on this day and we're at this point in the tribulation period. Two million views. What are you doing? He said that we would not see those things, but that's what people want to focus on. They want to spend all of their time in that kind of stuff and they don't want to focus on what the word is telling us and so paul a little bit frustrated at him because he'd already told them and they didn't listen okay so but it's sensation he, sensation sells that's all there is to it sergio and i were talking about this this morning on a particular issue i saw something and i sent it to him and uh it was something that was so obviously wrong that he came back laughing and then i said you know you think about this you think about the amount of money that this person that is putting this stuff out is making. Mm -hmm. Literally millions of dollars. You look at, what's his name, uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland, okay, everybody knows he's got $80 million, he's got how many uh, uh, jets, he's got his own runway, he's got a house that's like 90,000 square feet, and it's all tax deductible because that's his pastorate, and you know, people keep sending him money. They keep sending this guy money. Well, it's no different with some of these people that are putting this nonsense out there. And when I sent it to Sergio, all he did was come back with three dollar signs. You don't, you don't need to go any further than just look at the title of the video and you know that it's wrong, okay? But if you wanna click on it, all you're doing is you're sending that guy more money, okay? And you're wasting your time. Anyway, um, no big deal, but it's better to spend your time in the Word, reading the Word, thinking on the Word, 
praying to the Lord for discernment in the word, doing those type of things, than worrying about having your ears tickled. Anyway, life application. When congregations turn away from sound doctrine, or when those who proclaim false messages are on the attack, it is surely a source of great consternation. I would qualify that by saying for people that really want to know the truth, but it's a source of great consternation. Be sure to pray for those who hold to sound doctrine and be sure to hold fast to the truths of Scripture. Don't let Satan get a foothold in your life, but rather stand fast on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else, you're wasting your time. You're, you're going down an avenue that is only going to bring you wasted time. Uh, what is it? Uh, Freddie Fender. Wasted days and waste. You remember that song? Vaguely. Okay, he was great. <laughs> Type it in. Freddie Fender, Wasted Days and Wasted Nights. Oh, what great. It just came to mind. What a great old song. Anyway, um, do you remember that? Wasted days and wasted nights, crying over you. You do. He knows every song that's ever been recorded in the history of the world and who wrote it. It's amazing. I've never seen anybody know so many songs. Anyway, um, don't start playing Freddie Fender back there, okay? I don't. Uh, and I understand people are always jealous of my uh, singing abilities, so I'm going to get some some uh, email saying, please don't ever sing again on that Bible study. And I'm used to that, so don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are in, uh, you know, I have a sermon opening. If I can, you know, maybe it'll be this Monday. I've been waiting. My friend uh, Trent, he sent me a video. He did a video just for me um, uh, to teach me something about um, uh, uh, music, okay? And I went back to him and I told him, and I've been just waiting to use this. It's been, this is two weeks now, and I couldn't use it this past Monday. Maybe this Monday, maybe in a year. I, I want to open a sermon with what he said because he's got such a great way of explaining um, uh, music, uh, where these types of music came from, and it, so it's kind of fun. But at the same time, I've got a way of explaining uh, why what he said to me didn't make any difference to me at all. And I kind of explained it to him, but I think I can rewrite it better so that when I have a sermon opening, it will lead into whatever content of the sermon if I can make it fit. So maybe it'll be Monday. You know, I hope so because I don't want to lose this thought. But it was so nice of him to send that video to me because it was uh, uh, it was something that he was trying to help me with. But I went back and I told him that doesn't help me and here's why. Okay, which is uh, one of those. I don't want to go any deeper because if I do, then I'll give it away. And it's it's a great thought and I want it to be a, a good sermon opening someday. Anyway, we're in 3.9. New meaning to sermon notes? Uh, yes, yes, very good. Well said. Sermon notes, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Okay, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Okay, for what thanks we can render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? I don't think the tooth... Uh, read yours again. Okay, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Yeah, it is. It's just different. Uh, they took the clauses and put them in different, but it does. It says the same thing. Okay, I wanted to make sure. Last one, you know, the if and the... Uh, uh, that, that we'd have to go back to the Greek and just say, you know, what does it actually say? And, you know, it may be that it's kind of ambiguous. I don't know. But in this one, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't looking at it wrong, and I wasn't. I was at the beginning, but it's not different. Okay, Paul had just said, for now we live. 
the verse is given in response to that. And that response is, for what thanks can we render to God for you? It is not an affirmation, but a question. It is similar to the words of the 116th Psalm, which first, first asks the question and then provides an answer. So in Psalm 116, it says, 50, 70, all right, 116, and then verse 12. Uh, what, sh oh, yeah. what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. So there's a question that's rendered and then a response to it. Um, so, uh, you know, and that's a good way of uh, handling certain issues anyway, because there are times where you're kind of confused about something or you want to, uh, you know, um, settle something in your mind. And by turning it into a question first, and then responding to it, it will actually help you unpackage and then repackage what your thoughts were, okay? And so that's kind of what the psalmist did, and that's kind of what Paul is doing right here. Anyway, um, after asking this, and still a part of the question itself, speaking about Paul, not the psalmist, he then begins to fill in what the blessings they have received are in conjunction with, for now we live. He says, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake. Paul and his associates were literally filled with joy, and they went about rejoicing for the sake of those in Thessalonica. They had been found to have held fast to the truth and had not deviated from the gospel. In this, the church would live on, passing the word on to others just as it had been passed on to them. This gave Paul and his companions such great joy that they rejoiced, as it says, before our God. Okay, now if you think about it, and I always find this really hard to deal with, is that we have the Bible. We've got the Word of God. And there are seminaries that were established and founded on Scripture. And yet today they teach the most aberrant things that you could possibly imagine, okay? All of the uh, big Ivy League colleges were all started as theological seminaries. And today, the Bible is considered absolute rubbish to them, and they may have a, a course on the Bible, and all they do is just tear it apart, okay? There's nobody in those colleges that holds to a literal interpretation of Scripture, maybe a student, but certainly none of the uh, professors, okay? And this is the case always. When somebody starts a theological seminary, it's because they want to, you know, have the Word of God taught, okay? It's, whether they're doing it right or not is not the point. They want the Word of God presented to people, okay? And within a certain amount of time, it used to be maybe dozens or even a hundred years or so, or nowadays it's going down very quickly, the Word of God starts being held less and less in esteem, okay? Having said that, or a church, same thing. You start a church, it's founded on the Bible, and all of a sudden it starts becoming about something else, okay? And you see this all the time, too. Church starts going in a different pattern than what they originally established it for. Okay, we have the Word of God to keep us from doing that. These people didn't. Right. That's the point I'm getting at, is here they are. They've been 
told the gospel by Paul. They believe, yay! And then Paul sticks around for a certain amount of time. And it can't be that long because these missionary journeys were like a year and a half and he went to 20 different places, whatever. So he wasn't there a long time, but he gives them doctrine to hold on to. And that's all they have. Right. And you think, how quickly that could turn away. But I wonder, because we're not in that circumstance. I don't know, you know. But I wonder if they actually held closer to the word because of it because they didn't have the Bible and so they had to keep reminding each other of the what they were told you know I don't know but all I know is that if I don't have this and I'm not reading it every single day I am lost I tell you my thoughts go in wrong directions I I, I can't remember the last time I had a day where I didn't read it but uh, there are times where at night somebody stays at the house, okay? And the Bible that I normally read is up in the bathroom where they are staying. And so I don't read that. And I, I, I feel like now I'm, you know, whatever. I, I don't know how people do it without the word. But uh, Paul is rejoicing for the sake that they are holding fast to what he told them. That's the point. I, there there you know, were a few other factors that were going on then. First of all, I'm sure that just the whole like, you know, recent history of what happened in Jerusalem with this guy, Jesus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it must have, like, you know, well, some might, talk about it, it I guess. It may you know. have. Plus within the, the synagogues, I would think. Maybe right. not with, yeah. Well, but, but even that would disseminate out into the, the general, yeah. I would say, like, uh, pagan, <laughs> should yeah. I use that? But uh, anyhow, um, they um, also, uh, he, he kept it simple. It was like, well, you know, he did. we're sinners, he paid for it. Came out of the grave, you believe you're well, saved. He did, but and, and but that's the problem with Galatia. Galatia, the the Jews were following right behind him right. and telling him, and they're gonna go so, back to the, yeah, they're 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 making everything complicated. And so you know, unless you have the word and you're reading it in context, mm -hmm. God, it, but but how many people actually do that today? Which would point to all the problems. Yeah, well, I know, so. I know. That's why I keep telling people, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Read your Bible. You know, if people don't do that, I don't know, this world would be a lot better off sure. if people would just hold fast to the word. But whatever. Anyway, um, let's see here. Um, where was I? Paul and his associates were literally filled with joy, and they went about rejoicing. I think I read that. They had been found to have held fast to the truth and had not deviated from the gospel. The church would live on, passing on the word to others. Yes, I did read that. This gave Paul and his companions such great joy that they rejoiced as it says, his words, before our God. Their rejoicing wasn't just a rejoicing as if they had merited it. We won converts and they're obedient to us. Rather, it was a rejoicing before God. The gospel, which we were blessed to share, has taken root and God is glorified through it. This is what Paul is telling them. They were elated to know that the message of Christ had taken root and would continue on. And, you know, we all to some extent will do this. You know, I talked to somebody about Jesus today, and, and uh, uh, they accepted the Lord. And so, oh, that was really great of you. You know, and I, the point is that God is to be glorified, right. not the person that tells about Jesus, not the, you know, uh, and it's hard to not, you know, take some credit for things in life. It's very hard to not do that, but the main object of going out to the projects on Saturday is that God will be in control of that person's life 
in really desperate circumstances. It's not that we get to see the same person and be patted on the back every week for the next 40 years that, oh, we so much appreciate you coming out here and telling us about Jesus. The point is that God will be glorified through it and those people will be built up in the Lord. And if that's not the point of what we're doing, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. So anyway, life application. Are you willing to rejoice with other churches that you do not attend when they bring souls to Christ? It is not an us against them thing that occurs in the church. It is always for Christ. That is the thing that is going on in the church, okay? Uh, let us be content to see any properly run church which is grounded in the word. And I'm glad I said that because I was going to add that in when I'm talking about, you know, pitting a church against church. Let us be content to see any properly run church. I didn't know that I had put that in there, but I would have add, added that in, which is grounded in the word of God and directed to the true gospel, flourish and grow. Okay, I, uh, there's the guy out in California that uh, people go to and I understand, I don't have time to watch his sermons, but it's where Ron goes, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but um, apparently he teaches very well. I would never be jealous if he had 8 million views a week. As long as people are being trained properly, as long as they're getting right doctrine, who cares? But if somebody is, you know, supposedly uh, converted to Christ by, you know, uh, Mr. Prophecy, whatever, I'd have to question if they are ever going to be grounded in the word, okay? Maybe they, their conversion was real, they really called on the right Jesus, but I'm not going to rejoice that they're going to that church where all he does is talk about crazy things. Okay, so I'm glad I added that in at the end of there. Read it again. Grounded in the word of God and directed to the true gospel. If that's the case, then you should be happy. Happy that that person is attending that church and is going to grow in Christ and is going to get right doctrine. Yes, should be happy. 310. Yes, which 10 is actually going to blow a hole in what I just speculated on. But anyway, 10. Night and day. We pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply you what is lacking in your faith. Yep, okay, exactly. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Very close. Um, absolutely, you know, and it, like I said, they don't have a Bible. They don't probably, unless, I can't remember if Thessalonica will be there in very soon in Acts. I can't remember if they started with a synagogue and, you know, one of them, the synagogue leader becomes a Christian. And so you know that they at least have the Old Testament scriptures and they got somebody that now sees that they point to Christ. That's a plus. But some of these churches that they started didn't have any scripture at all. And all they had was what Paul told them. That would be really hard, you know. And like I said, it may be exactly the opposite. Because Paul said these things and they listened intently, they were very careful to repeat them. And if that's the case, that would be great. But uh, there are things that, as he says, that are lacking in their faith, and he wants to fill them up. 3.10, Paul's previous words were, For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Now he completes the thought beginning with night and day, praying exceedingly. At the end of this epistle, he says, Pray without ceasing. He was not one to exhort without actually living out what he urged in others. From the words day and night, we see that he and his companions truly did pray without ceasing. When talking about something, they would pray. 
When walking along, thinking on their beloved brethren, they would pray. When desiring to see those in Thessalonica again, they would pray. This doesn't mean they stopped and got on their knees every time they prayed, but that their words were simply inclusive of prayers uttered to God for the subject they had talked about or contemplated. I love to be around people like that, that just constantly are uh, saying things as if it's a prayer while they're talking. It's just, you know, may the God be glorified. And you get people that email like that. You know, they're, they're just very good about including the Lord all the way through their emails. That is so encouraging. It just is. So anyway, uh, and you know that's what they're doing. They're not just stopping. Okay, let's stop and have a five-minute prayer session for uh, the folks in uh, Thessalonica. As they're walking, they're talking about, and they say, Lord, please bless them. Please increase them. You know, or uh, we heard that uh, this guy broke his leg. Lord, you know, they're just praying as they're going. Okay, for now he continues by noting that their prayers were first, his words, that we may see your face. It was a true longing of Paul to return to his beloved brethren. Any evangelist or pastor who has formed a bond with those he ministered to will naturally have a desire to see that person again and to share in fellowship with him. We used to have uh, Tavo and uh, Mallory here mm. at the church, and they were a young couple. They were the only young couple I think that ever came in here, and oh. they were so excited about Your this. son? Well, I'm talking about not family, okay? okay. But they, they, they were so excited about the Lord. They just, Tavo, he was just, and what happens on Friday, they get a call, we got a job for you in North Dakota, and on Saturday they left. And I think about them all the time. I got their baby, who's probably five or six years old now. I've got his his uh, uh, photo on a refrigerator. And every time I see Tio's face, you know, I think, thank you, Lord. I pray for them. And uh, uh, I'd love to see him again. I'd love to know that they were staying grounded in the Word. Above all, I, I would love to know that. But, you know, when people move, eventually they get into their own lives and they do, do their own thing. And I don't want to go pestering them, but I would love to know how they are doing and if they are holding fast to the Lord, for sure. Good thing Paul didn't feel that way. Well, yeah, but I don't even know where they are. That's what I'm saying. Is I just I'm, you lost contact with them. It's just... So anyway, off they go, and uh, but I think of them all the time, and little Tio, and they've had another child, I know that, So, uh, but I don't have his photo or hers or whatever on the uh, refrigerator, but I, I think of them all the time, and uh, well, anyway, um, uh, where was I? That was their desire as well, but it was also to perfect what is lacking in your faith, Paul's words. The words of this, of this epistle contain doctrine intended to increase the faith of the brethren. This is certainly a part of what Paul is referring to. If he could not be there in person, then he would at least convey his thoughts in written form. Chapter 4 will fill in many of the things concerning what is lacking in their faith. So far, we really haven't gotten much doctrine, and we're three chapters in, and it's been Paul talking and explaining things, but he hasn't really given us a lot of doctrine. Chapter 4 is where he really gets into doctrine. Okay? Um, It'll fill in many of the things concerning what is lacking in their faith, chief among them being what is the state of the dead in Christ. Paul will instruct them on this, and in his instruction will come words concerning the return of Christ for his church. They are marvelous words of hope and encouragement, which are intended to perfect what is lacking in the faith of the believers. Can't wait till we get there. Chapter 4 is just a wonderful, you know, it's a hope-filled chapter. It's just filled with hope. What about the people that have died? 
what's going to happen when the Lord comes. And, you know, Paul tells them. And so it's something that we can hold on to 2,000 years later. But um, I might as well say this. Somebody emailed me and they asked a question and they said, you know, is this prescriptive for the church today? And it was dealing with one of the three pastoral epistles. And my answer, and you know, just in case somebody comes across something in the epistles and they want to know, does this still apply today? The answer is yes. Yes. The epistles are written to the church. They are written for the church age. So when somebody says, and this is what brings this about, I get this a lot in uh, questions and you know comments and stuff. Um, suppose somebody says something about uh, 1 Corinthians 14, where it's speaking about you know uh, women in the church and this and that. Okay, I understand the pastor said that's cultural. That doesn't apply today. I will tell you, everything in the epistles is written for the church. It's not cultural. It didn't just apply to Corinth. It applies to the church. It wouldn't be in the the epistles if it didn't apply to all of the church. And that's why when I'm reading the book of Colossians and it says, Paul says to the people at Colossae, I always add in a little comment, and thus to us, because these things apply to us. So if somebody says to you something about uh, Romans or 1 and 2 Corinthians or Galatians or any of these epistles, Philemon, the pastoral epistles, you've got uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, they apply to the church. They are prescriptive, and we must not say that's cultural. It doesn't apply to us today. Okay, I just need to say that because I get that question a lot, and it just came to mind that somebody asked me that within the past 24 or 48 hours. Okay, um, Hebrews is obviously written to the Jesus. to the Hebrews. That's right. Okay, and then you've got one and two uh, Peter, which is written to the uh, 12 tribes of the dispersion, and James is the same thing. Okay. But that doesn't mean that they don't apply to us. They just are not directed to us today. Okay, so you can't say that Hebrews does not pertain to the church. Is Christ our atoning sacrifice? Is he? Absolutely. And so it applies to the church. But the points that he is making are to the Hebrew people, and specifically the Hebrew people of the end times after the church age. As I've told you before, the structure of the Bible itself gives you a picture of redemptive history. So when the church age ends, the pastorals, you know, are the last of, or actually Philemon, but they're, that's the end of the, uh, uh, the church age epistles. It doesn't mean that the things that Peter and Paul, I'm sorry, Peter and uh, James and John and Jude, doesn't mean they don't apply to the church. They do, but they're just not directed to the church, okay? And the same thing is true with Paul in the end times. Everything that Paul says applies to the people, it just is not directed to them. All right, so you got to make sure who is being written to, what is the context, all right? But if it says in the Bible that Jesus is our high priest, that never changes. That doesn't change because you're a Jew or a Gentile. He's our high priest, okay? And this is a problem with the doctrine known as hyperdispensationalism, where they've cut everything out of the Bible. They've cut everything out, and they've got a couple of verses that they say, there, that applies to you and nothing else does. And that is incorrect, okay? But you have to make sure that what is the intent of what is being said. But when it comes especially to Paul's letters, 
they are prescriptive for the church age. There's nothing that was, oh, that's cultural and that belongs to Corinth. It belongs to everybody, okay? It is a lesson for the church to understand. Now, obviously, there are cultural things going on in Corinth and cultural things going on in Galatia, etc. And you can discern that, but when he gives a prescription, it still applies today, okay? Um, life application on the verse we just read. Uh, if one is lacking faith, or if his walk has gotten off track, the first and best way to get that corrected is to get into the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I'll stop right there, and I'll say that today I was walking up to the church. Um, I had just gone over to uh, check with uh, Tom down the way and see how things went with him this past week, the pizza guy, and I had to pick something up from Publix, and then I came back, and I was coming up to the church and there was a lady with a cute little dog. And of course, the dog is sniffing me because it sniffs seven dogs. And so, uh, and she was a nice lady and we talked for a few minutes and apparently she works right two doors down at Stringer Management. And she said, uh, oh, I got at my key after I said goodbye. And she says, oh, you're going in there. I said, oh, yes, ma'am. And she said, um, well, I, uh, I wanna get a Bible. And I said, oh, okay. And she says, so I, I knew that you opened at five o'clock today and I saw that on the way by with the dog and now she's going back. And she says, I wanna come in at five and I wanna get a Bible from you. And I said, oh, well, I'll get you one right now. And uh, so the guy that sent us some Bibles just recently, about a week and a half ago, he sent a bunch of Bibles and I handed some out at the church and then we're handing them out at the projects as well. And I had one in the car to go to the projects. And, um, I told her, explained that somebody that attends online sent us some Bibles and I just got them in here. And she said, well, this is for my daughter. She said she wants to start reading the Bible. And I said to her, oh, well, here. And I gave her my card, you know, the business card. I said, don't go away. I went and got the business card. Thank you. Love you. Have a nice night. Okay. So um, uh, I said, that's my email too. address. And I said, if she has any questions, you have her email me. Because, you know, that's what I'm talking about right there. Uh, get, uh, the best way to get that corrected is to get into the Word of God. For whatever reason, this girl wants to get into the Word of God. She wants a Bible, okay? And I, I didn't want to delay. I didn't want to say, okay, come back at 5, you know, which is, I'll be back at 5. I, I, I want her to get this now because something might happen and she might not get the Bible to her daughter. Her daughter is going to get that Bible, and the first thing she's going to do is she's going to start reading it, and she's going to come to something she doesn't understand, and I want her to understand what she's reading. And so have her email me if she has any questions at all. That's what we need to do, get people into the Word of God. From there, we can add in many other avenues of getting ourselves grounded and redirected to the proper path. But the, without the Word of God, how will we be able to discern if the path we have chosen is the correct one or not. We can't. All we can do is, you know, I'm sorry, you know, if somebody gives somebody a Quran and that person starts reading the Quran and they think that's the way to enlightenment and salvation, they are on the wrong path, okay? That may not be a happy thing and people might not like that and say, well, that's judgmental. Listen, we read that right in the, uh, the thing there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Either that's a true statement or it is not a true statement. It, it can't go both ways. You can't say, well, it's true for you and it's not true for me. If he is God 
And if he said it, then that must be a true statement. If he's not God, then it's irrelevant. And that's why people need to learn these things and find out if in fact what they are hearing is true or not. Now, we've been studying this word for years and years and years. Every single Sunday, I, it astonishes me when I type a sermon on Monday, the things that point to Jesus. And we're in the Old Testament. We've never gotten into the New Testament in the sermons. And it all points to Jesus. To me, this word has validated itself 10 billion times. If people are willing to do the study, they will see that it's true. Okay, and so if she's reading something in 1 Samuel and she says, well, I don't understand this, and she sends me an email, I'm gonna say, here is how that points to Jesus. That's what she, she needs to get into the word and then she needs to be discipled in the word. And that's what every person here should be doing with somebody if they want help with the word. Do what you, and if you don't know the answer, there's somebody that can get you the answer. Whether it's me, I'll help you with it, or you can go online to a few trusty sites out there that, you know, what about this? And Got Questions is one of them. I hate recommending people because as soon as I recommend somebody, you're going to get a, a, somebody's going to, you know, go to Got Questions, they're going to ask a question, and the next thing you know, the answer is bad, and now I've recommended somebody I shouldn't have recommended. I, I don't know everything that's on their website. All I know is I've gone there about 8,000 times, and 99.9% .9 of the time, I've been very satisfied. And the times that I wasn't very satisfied, I thought, well, that was an okay answer, but there was nothing wrong with it. Okay? So, if, if you have a question, and you want to know the answer, and you don't email me, which is okay, I don't mind that, go to Got Questions, and they've got a search bar. All you have to do is type in Got Questions. You don't even have to enter the site. Before you click on the site, it's got a search bar. You type in, you know, what is Matthew 1947 telling me? If there, I don't know if there's Matthew 1947, whatever. But what is that telling me? And sure enough, you'll come up with an article or 10 articles on that. And it'll explain to you what it's telling you. Okay, sometimes they have something that I disagree with, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just that it's one of those passages that's really, you know, people are always asking about after Jesus was crucified and he died on the cross, it says that uh, the ground was shaken, blah, 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 and many uh, people came back, right? That's a really, really hard question to answer. Okay, that's very hard because there's nothing else in scripture to define it at all. Right. It, there's nothing. And so all you can say to them is just give them an answer and say, that's what the Bible says. It doesn't give us anything else on that. Nobody else says it in Matthew, in uh, Mark, Luke, or John. Nothing in the epistles on it. There may be one verse in Isaiah that kind of points to it, maybe not. Okay, but other than that, it doesn't give you any information. So I can't make stuff up. But when you go to a, I'm not saying Got Questions does this, but if you go to Got Questions, they may say, well, this, blah, 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 and they may get off on something that actually isn't correct. I'm just giving an example. I don't know if that's the case or not, but uh, if they give you an answer beyond that verse, they're probably making something up because there's nothing else to define that in Scripture. What and I so, found is that they're, they're, if there's controversies, they'll just, in the middle of the road, they'll say something this. Well, that's right. That. And they'll also like, give yeah. opinions, like, well, one scholar says, and, you know, so they're, mm -hmm. right. they're usually not in any way giving you bad information, yeah. okay, that I, I have seen, okay? So I'm recommending them without recommending them, okay? Uh, that's my, because <laughs> I have not seen everything they've done, but if you How have... How could you? Well, there you go. You couldn't. Yeah, it, it, it called again? Got questions.
just type in got questions. You don't even have to put a, a URL, just put got questions into your search bar and they'll come right up. Okay, it's a very, very popular site and it tells you every person that clicks onto it, it gives another click on the counter and we're up to like 15,842 questions answered. Okay, whatever. And so uh, it's just a helpful site. All right, it, and maybe they won't give you an answer to what you need, but so far, if there's something that you need, I have not found anything that I thought that was. And people even send me it. Well, you know, it says this and got questions, and I'm like, oh, at least they're going to a site that's pretty decent, right. Right. you know? Anyway, um, okay, 311. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Okay, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So, close enough. Okay, what seems like a straightforward and simple verse actually has wording of great interest. Paul begins this prayer of supplication with his words, Now may our God and Father himself. The petition is to God, but a note of specificity is then given by saying, And Father himself. Three times in this chapter, he is already referred to God, first in verse 2, and then in verse 9. However, he also referred to the Lord in verse 8. Now, in this verse, he makes his solemn petition to our God and Father himself. But then he next says, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, there is definitely a distinction made between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They are two separate entities. You can't get around that, okay? It is something the Bible teaches, and we take it at face value. However, Paul then gives us the beginning of the substance of his prayers, saying, may God direct our way to you. In verse 218, Paul noted that Satan had hindered their travel to Thessalonica. He's certainly showing us a contrast then between that thought and what he now desired. The words there, as Satan had hindered us, so now we petition to God to direct our way to you. The verb he uses is one which is found only three times in the New Testament. It is seen first in Luke 1.79. It is then seen here, and then once again in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, both in the form of an optative verb, one expressing a wish or a desire. The verb itself gives the sense of going straight and the most direct route. In this, there would not be any loss of time or effort. The sincerity of Paul's words is fully evident. He truly desires that he and those with him would be completely unhindered in their travel back to this beloved congregation. However, what is most important here is that the verb translated as direct is singular. It's not plural. Therefore, it can be taken in no other way than that in Paul's mind, Jesus is equal to God the Father. They are one, and yet he is not the Father. I hope that you're getting what I'm saying. They are separate persons with equal authority to grant the petition. There's no way to get around that based on the way that he uses the Greek. And that what then opens up, and that thought then opens up another theological truth which is seen elsewhere. Can we pray to Jesus? The answer is found right here. Sure. Paul is petitioning both God the Father and Jesus Christ equally. 
For full emphasis, he is petitioning them together. Words have meaning, tenses have meaning, and in this case, the number of the verb, singular, is of special importance. That is the same thing as uh, Matthew 28, where he says, uh, go and baptize in the name. name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word is singular in the Greek. It doesn't say names. It doesn't make any distinction between the three, even though the words themselves make a distinction between the three, because the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, because if they were, he would just simply say God and be done with it. But he gives three names, and he says, in the Onoma, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus, they are three, but they are one. And the same thought is going on here. And you can't get around it the way that the Greek is written. It, Whatever. Just so you know, if the Jehovah's Witnesses come to you, you may not remember this verse. It's kind of an obscure verse to uh, but you can say, you know, the Greek doesn't allow you any other option here, folks. He's talking about two entities that are one. Okay, but they don't want to hear that, and their answer is going to be, "Well, I need to go ask the the uh, elders, and then the, you'll never see him again." Or they'll come back with some goofy explanation that has nothing to do with reality. But, or they'll wipe their shoes off at the end oh, of the yeah. driveway. Oh yeah, they yeah they might wipe their shoes off at the end of the driveway and think they've got victory, <laughs> but whatever. Ah, very sad. It's maddening. It's just so maddening. I feel so bad for people. Hmm. Study is real hard work. It's not something that just comes to you. All right. It's very difficult work. But the more that you study, the more that you check out the word, the more that you, you know, check what people are saying. Don't just believe Charlie Garrett because he says it, but actually check out what he says, the better off you are going to be. Okay, it's hard. It, your brain at night when you go to bed, it hurts because you've studied and you've, you've tried to figure out what's going on, but it is worth it. It is worth it. Okay, life application, and we're going to be done because we only got like five minutes left. Um, this is a good verse to highlight as another of the myriad proofs found in Scripture that the Apostle Paul, indeed, he believed Jesus to be on equal standing with the Father, being fully God himself. He believed it. He wrote it. This is something that he held fast to, and you just can't get around it. This is one of the things that you see in the Old Testament. When we're going through line by line every single sermon, we go through it, and I'll say, well, you know, this is singular here, and this is plural here, and there's a reason why it says these things, and you have to sit and think, why did he do that? Why does it? And, you know, it's not just as easy as saying, well, that's an error by the... the uh, the scribe because if it was an error by the scribe somebody would have said this doesn't make sense and they'd make a margin note with no margin note you know that they did that intentionally and it is there for a reason now you have to think why did God include this in his word and this isn't just one or two times we've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times so far in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth you see these gender discords it'll say something in the masculine and then in the feminine and nobody can explain why. Why is that in there? And people have come up with all... When I did the book of Ruth, I don't know if you remember that, but when I did the book of Ruth, I said that there are gender discords in here. And one guy, he has a class in every... He's one of these seminary professors. Every time that he had the class, he would challenge the students to try to figure out why these gender discords are in there. And he says, I've never come to a suitable explanation of this. Okay, why are they in there? Well, this tells me one, that he really believes that that is inspired by God. Because if he didn't believe it, he wouldn't be asking them to try to figure it out. Okay, and two, 
it means that he really wants people to try to think these things through. Not just it is the word of God, but God is telling us something with it. And three, if you want to know why they're in the book of Ruth, you can watch the Ruth sermons because I explain it in there. All right? Did you I get in touch with him about that? They what? Did you get in touch with him about I, that? I may have sent it to him. I can't remember. I think I did send him an email, but I certainly never heard back from him. But I am absolutely certain that the explanation is correct. Okay, if you look at it and you understand what God is doing, what, what is God doing when he gives us an obscure story from the Old Testament? He's either painting a picture or... or typology. Yeah, right. He's telling us about Jesus. And as long as you look at those things from that perspective, you will be able to figure out what God is telling you. There's no doubt about it. So if you want to know why those gender discords are in the book of Ruth, go and watch the Ruth sermons and you will understand. Okay, and I need to watch it again because... Uh, Maya's been doing the Bible Bites, but she didn't include those parts of there, of, of that in the uh, Bible Bites. But um, I need to refresh myself on why they're in there because it's been so long that I just need to remember again. But the explanation was perfectly satisfactory, okay? And it explains exactly why it would say what it says, okay? It's kind of like the uh, last chapter of the book of Jonah. Very complicated, but there's a reason why, okay? The Lord is telling us things about the coming Christ. Anyway, life application. Um, there, This is a good verse. I said that. Um, okay, if someone who is confused about this issue, meaning the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it, and is really willing to accept the word at face value, it will give him something to consider. No doubt about it. Also, let us never feel that we are in the wrong by praying to God through Jesus and to Jesus. Paul has already set an example for us to follow. If he has given us the example, then we know that we can pray to Jesus. I have absolutely zero problem with talking to Jesus all day long. I talk to him all day long, okay? And my, my talking to him is as a prayer, okay? <laughs> I have no problem with that. If people have a problem with that, take it up with Paul because he's given us a, uh, an example right there that we can follow. Heavenly Father, how good you are to let us share in this precious word. Wow, what a joy, what a treasure it is. Thank you for the wonderful delights that are found in there. And we're so looking forward to chapter four and understanding uh, what you have done for us and the hope that we possess because of, of uh, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the promise of Christ's return. And may that day be soon. Wow, what a wonderful thing to know that we'll be in your presence forever. May that day be soon. And then it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll say goodbye to the folks right now, and then we'll back up and wave, wave to you. Uh, oops, I, yes, I want to push that, and I want to push that. Okay, whoops. Oh, no. Okay, I turned it off. I didn't back it up. Okay, that's all right. I, it is what it is. I did not put it on. Um, I didn't back it up, so we can't wave to him. Ah, that's what happens, man. I, I Did you capture everything? Uh, yes, I think I did. Everything is captured. So even if I screwed up the stream, I can still uh, uh, edit it and upload it myself. So, uh, I, oh, it's very hard to switch your mind from one thing to another. Okay, we...